0: Hey, My name is Mark. I serve here at the church, and today is my joy to bring you the Word of God. So if you would, please, please grab your Bible. There's a Bible in front of you, and we're going to turn to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, chapter 5, 7 through 11. The Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 1013, and that's where we're going to be reading today. We're going to be continuing our study in James, so let's hear from the Word of the Lord. Here is the Word of the Lord. Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another's brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, let us pray. Our Father, your ways and your words bring life. You bring healing and wholeness. You bind up the broken, and you make all things new. Blessed are you, O Lord. Establish our hearts this morning. Establish us in your grace, prepare us. May the distractions and the burns this week, be laid down at your foot of the cross, and may we come freely and find rest and assurance and confidence in who you are and what you have done. I pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen. All right, so I confess. My first reading of this section, I did not find much help in the words of James here. Right? It happens, right? I'm sure we all can relate to coming to the Bible and walking away not feeling very helped. But I do want to affirm from the start that as I meditated more and more on these words and as I prepared this sermon, the Lord has provided me much comfort. And that is my hope and prayer for today, that you may find the same comfort. Now, I make that confession because I do believe it's relevant for our understanding of this section. I believe, upon reflection, my lack of help found in this section was due to some of the words James used, and I sum it up in this little command at the beginning of the section. Be patient. Be patient. Just be patient. That's a command, right? Be patient until the coming... Of the Lord. Now, for someone who has three little kids and has to struggle with patience daily, that can feel like the most unhelpful advice in the whole world. Just be more patient, just muster some more patience. It's like that command don't be anxious about anything, just don't be stressed. How in the world do you do that? If I come home from work and I ask my wife, hey, honey, how was your day? And she begins to share the struggles of her day, how she's getting frustrated with the boys, how she's lost her patience, how she's feeling overwhelmed. Ten years of of marriage tells me that me going to her and just saying, be patient (laughs) is probably not going to be received too well. So, as I prepared this sermon, wisely, I ran a little experiment. (laughs) Hell and earth would break loose in our kitchen, as it normally would. My youngest, Nathan, is screaming because he wants to get out of his high chair. Ethan's complaining about his food, and Calvin wants more food. (laughs) Maddie steps in and starts trying to manage the little mini crisis that's breaking out. There's the chorus of screaming, and as she's trying to do that, she looks across the table at me with that tired, anxious look that's just kind of pleading for help. And I just look at her, and I say, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then I would ask, does it help? And I really meant it. Does it help? Was it helpful? Now, she knew what I was doing, and she knew the scripture I was preparing for, so usually it usually was pretty funny and provided some levity in the moment, and she just didn't throw her shoe at me. But the point is, is I can't really imagine a scenario where this commanding language of be patient in a moment where patience is lacking really produces the desired effect. Traffic is bad. Your boss is frustrating you with his decisions. You're waiting on, a, you're waiting on the phone to, through the appointment line, and you got to dial one, then two, then six, and you go back to the very start. <sighs> Just try and be more patient, honey. You lose someone. You're betrayed by someone close to you. Your body aches and it hurts. You're diagnosed with cancer. The Lord is coming soon. Be patient. Does it help? The question is, is that what James is getting after here when he makes this statement? Behold, there's something important happening soon. Jesus is coming again, so just make sure you're patient. And I'll point out the tension right in the front. Paul describes patience as a fruit. So how on earth can James command it of us? Right, The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience. It's a fruit. So how do you command it? A fruit is produced out of something. The imperative given by James of be patient has the feeling of something we must do, something we got to muster in our own strength. So this is where I level with you from the start. You cannot muster in your own strength a fraction of the patience on your own that would achieve anything of spiritual merit. You cannot muster in your own strength a fraction of the patience on your own that would achieve anything of spiritual merit. You cannot do it. Scripture is clear, and your experience in life probably supports the same. But here's the good news, friends. James is not placing another burden on us. And I'm going to attempt to show you in Scripture how this encouragement from James is rooted in something much deeper. Today at the start, we're going to set our house on the firm foundation on the grace of Christ. And from this Christ-established rock we stand, we'll have the patience to weather any storm or season. Now that's a long intro, but I know the condition of your heart, I know the condition of my heart, and I know its inclination. And we're going to set our firm foundation because when we look at this James, what James is commanding of you know, to be patient. I know the temptation that springs up when we hear it. You, say, you hear the word be patient and the mind gravitates to, okay, I need to do something. I just need to be more patient. No grumbling. As if you can control it. Now, when I was preparing this sermon... I uh, wanted to figure out maybe what's in the mind of the congregation when uh, we think of the word patience. So, um, I told Ethan, my middle child, I was like, hey, Daddy's preaching a sermon on patience. What do you think patience means? And he said, patience is like not interrupting when you want to ask for more food. (laughs) Is that what patience means? Now, I'm going to credit Madison, because Madison helped solve this puzzle for me. Again, we're sitting at the kitchen table, and Nathan's squawking for some more water. And Maddie replies to Nathan what? What does she tell him? Just a moment, Nathan. Be patient. Do you hear the issue? Be patient is a phrase we use sometimes in our own common vernacular, Right? when we mean something like, wait. We use the word be patient, we usually mean not write down, give it some more time, just a second. A more accurate phrase is probably something like, wait patiently. The attitude by which we are supposed to wait. So when we look at the translation of patience in Greek, the word patience is literally translated as, Long temper. The sentence is more accurate accurate to set your attitude, one's attitude, for a long run. Patience, in its true definition, is an attitude or a state of being and not a command. So, if be patient is not a command of your emotional state, then what is it? Now, when we think of patience, we quickly gravitate to some couple cultural images, right? In our mind, there's like these examples of what we think worldly patience looks like. You have those like Buddhist monks that spend their top their life on top of the mountain, and they're like disciplining themselves towards serenity. There's the Mr. Miyagi's of the world, the Yodas, right, that seem to have the capacity to accept great trouble or suffering without ever getting angry or upset. And right, frankly, there is, there is a level of impressive worldly patience that can be achieved, and it's admirable. I think of stories of American POWs in prisoner camps. I think of Holocaust survivors, people who demonstrated steady endurance in the face of trial And a lot of those folks are not Christians. But that is not the type of patience James is calling us to here. He's not calling us to look deep inside ourselves and muster some internal discipline and strength so that we're calm, cool, and collected regarding the circumstance. That isn't biblical patience. No, James is calling us to something much more impossible. But the things that are impossible for man are possible for God. So, a definition at this point would probably be helpful because I've just established there's an inability to achieve a form of worldly, impressive type of patience. There's that ability. And I also am going to set that apart for what I'm going to call biblical patience. You have patience you can muster in your own strength. And then you have patience that can only be given by grace through faith. So here's my definition, right? Biblical patience is where a person by faith, which is trusting in and being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus, has an, produces an attitude or a capacity that can endure and persevere through all things until the end. Biblical patience is where a person by faith has an attitude or a capacity that can endure and persevere through all things until the end. As described in the Bible, patience is a long view, a long temper. It is the capacity in the life of the believer, a fruit produced out of faith. Or, to say it another way, biblical patience is trusting in Christ to meet all our needs, both now and in the future, such that we can accept great trouble and trial in the present. While being fully satisfied. Or, to say it another way, we can count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. James 1, 2. In this definition, you will see that patience is not less than the ability to endure difficult circumstance. It's not less than that. Patience is just not merely just perseverance in the face of trial. Those are good things, and we can admire those things, but it is infinitely more. Biblical patience is an attitude that is able to endure the hardships, trials, and backslidings of this life because of what it's hoping in. You have a patience of the world, which roots your hope in yourself, or maybe some other temporary thing, and then you have a biblical patience which is rooted in eternal hope. What I'm trying to say here is there's a patience that is given by grace, established in Jesus. and That patience is free to all by grace. So when the guy that cuts you off in traffic, or when your boss does not give you the credit you deserve, or when your com- kids are complaining for the thousandth time, when you go to the 10th doctor's appointment in a row without any resolution, when you receive that phone call, you're able to endure because your hope is not in the things of this world. Amen. Because, this, because this is momentary. Biblical patience is rooted in biblical hope. Where a person by faith it's trusting in and being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus. And you have the attitude or capacity that can endure and persevere through all things until the end. So, how do we get this patience? How do we get it? Now, something happens in the next two verses directly following the command that informs this encouragement for be patient. So I want to show you that in this passage, show you how I got there, and then show you how we can achieve this patience, right? I'll give you my thesis up front. A heart that is established in Jesus, finding its full satisfaction in him, produces an attitude, a capacity, a long temper, different words for patience, right? That is able to weather the coldest trials of winter and produce the greatest fruits in summer heart that is established in Jesus, finding its full satisfaction in him, produces an attitude, a capacity, a long temper that is able to weather the coldest trials of winter and produce the greatest fruits in summer. So how do I prove that in Scripture? I believe the key to unlocking this passage lies in the little phrase, establish your hearts. James 5.8. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand or near. Now, how in the world is James connecting that sentence with the sentence right before it? Be patient for the coming of the Lord. Look at this farmer. See this farmer. Observe him. You also be patient. And then this, this verse right here. Establish your hearts. Now, clearly in James's mind, when he's writing these things, these two things went together. And not only that, James here is giving us another command. And this command seems even more daunting than the first one. Establish your hearts? No. We're not going to get hung up on the word heart here, right? The word heart just means the seat of your affections and your desires. When the Bible says heart, and I think we still understand it this way today, heart means one's entire emotional nature and understanding. Your heart. We have our hearts, which is the seat of the seat of our affections and our desires, and we are to establish them, or in some translations you have, might have it in your Bible, in some translations strengthen them. Now, the Greek here, for, the Greek in here is "cardias," right? The word that for heart here is "cardias," which this whole phrase translated means establish or strengthen the hearts of you. And what the is trying to get at is make stable or place firmly your cardias, your heart. So the question then is, establish them in what? Strengthen them in what? And how in the world do we do it? I believe the answer can be found in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13. Now, may our God and Father himself... And our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he, so that he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. How am I to be patient, James. How am I to establish my heart, James? The answer is Christ establishes your heart. Our hearts are to be established in Christ and are established by Christ. Who is the one who does the establishing? It is Christ by his grace. Now, I can't get into how that works. That's a whole sermon unto itself. But suffice it to say, here in Thessalonians, Paul is saying Jesus does the establishing and uses the same phrase in the Greek as James, right? Establish your hearts. So now here's another connection, and I hope you see it. James says, Be patient for the coming of the Lord. Talks this, gives us a story about this farmer, follows us establishing our hearts, and then says this As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Jesus provides us an anecdote for the anxiety of our age and our hearts in Luke 12, 27 through 40. And James here is referencing the same, and it's all wrapped up in that little word, Consider. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the sparrows. And here in James, consider the farmer. Consider Job. Consider the prophets. James implores us to have a long temper, to have patience, verse 7. And he gives us the means by which we're supposed to do it, establishing our hearts, verse 8. Then the most helpful application fashion, he provides us the application, the mechanism by which we do it. Consider, ponder, meditate, think. Paul does the same in Colossians. Colossians 3, 1, 2. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you have died. And your life is hidden in Christ and God. James wants us to strengthen our inner beings and then gives us the God-appointed means by which we are to do it. The meditations of our heart. So we want fruit in our lives. We want this patience. Well, in order for that fruit to be produced, we need to establish our hearts, which is done by God through the Holy Spirit, through the appointed means of what our hearts meditate. When I hear this idea, I think of Mary, Jesus' mother. In Luke two sixteen through 18, we read, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. After they had seen the child, they had spread the message they had received. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I just love that. How's that even in the Bible? But Mary, but Mary treasured, she treasured up all these things and pondered them, pondered them in her heart. Luke was written many years after Jesus' death. And Jesus lived for at least 30 plus years, right? So, of all the details to capture surrounding the birth and death of Jesus, Luke captures this detail. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Do you know what's so incredible about this statement? No one at this time is recording what poor peasant women think about. In a patriarchal society, who cares what a poor first century woman feels? Her feelings. Seventy years after the death of Jesus, maybe? after the birth of Jesus? How did this get recorded of all the events to record regarding the king of the universe's life? But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the answer must be this. Who cares? God cares. The treasuring in her heart must have been something to behold, a rich, overflowing abundance that glorified God, and God delighted in his daughter finding her satisfaction in him, so much so now the Bible mentions it as an example for us. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. Mary heard but didn't see, right? She wasn't there with the shepherds. She heard about the angel, the star, the promises all secondhand, and by faith and hope, she then treasured and pondered them in her heart. I pray that for our hearts this morning. May we treasure and consider like Mary. The appointed means God gives to establish our hearts is his demonstrated grace. And something happens. Something happens when by faith we take hold of the promises of God and then store them up in our hearts as treasure. It roots us. It roots us and we abide The Bible and Mary's example here has a much-needed word for us in our modern age. You're not a brain on a stick. You're not the sum of all the things you think, but what you love. Meaning, the meditations of your heart dictate your steps. So when James tells us to establish our hearts, he's telling us something absolutely essential. And it's this. A heart meditating on the things of God establishes our heart in the sufficiency of Christ which springs up patience in the life of the believer. Amen. Our heart meditating on the things of God establishes our hearts in the sufficiency of Christ which then springs up patience in the life of the believer. I'd like to grip you. May it grip you. May these words of our mouths and these meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Psalm 1914. You're not what you think, but what you love. Don't store up in your hearts lesser meditations. Your heart will be established somewhere. Abide. Abide in the only place that can produce true joy. So let's establish our hearts this morning. We're going to establish our hearts this morning, and we're going to consider what James has told us to consider. We're going to consider his preciousness, God's purposes, and then his prophetic return. Consider his preciousness. Let us consider the farmer. Verse 7, see how the farmer, or consider the work, See how the farmer, or consider the farmer, see how he waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, it took me a long time, longer than I care to admit, but who is the farmer? Is, it, is the farmer us, or is it Jesus? Now, the next phrase in the line following, verse 8, you also, you also be patient. This provides the clue that the farmer Is us. We are the farmer. We are to be like the farmer. We are to consider like the farmer who is waiting for precious fruit in both winter and in summer. Now I love I love the word precious. More desirable than anything, rare and beautiful. That word, friends, is a clue. It's a clue. Why is the fruit precious to the farmer? Because his life depends on it. The farmer looks forward to receiving the precious fruit in hope. And as you can see, that produces in him this attitude in his heart where he waits in the different seasons. We look forward to the promise of something that is precious that's coming to us. And that hope sees us through all the seasons. What is the precious fruit? Now, there are multiple promises here that we can grab hold of that are precious. That in Christ, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Or, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far God has removed your sin from you. Psalm 103, 12. Or, it can be this. For by grace... You've been saved through faith, and this is not from you. It is the gift of God. It is not from works, so no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. These are precious promises, friends. So how do we establish our hearts? Establish our hearts by considering the preciousness of Christ. Consider the precious treasure you have in your Jesus the infinite abundance. And root your joy there. And that will give you the fruit of patience. Next. So James tells us, consider his preciousness. Now we're going to consider the prophets. Consider Job. And by considering them, we're going to consider his purposes. Verse 10. Brothers, as an example of patience in affliction, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Consider Job. A man of righteousness in a wicked world. Azerb the servant of God where no unrighteousness in him could be found. Consider how all of his worldly things were taken from him. Good worldly things too. Things that God blesses, his family, his children, his health. All these things were taken from Job in an instant. Consider Job, whose heart was breaking under the burdens of this world. Sorrow upon sorrow, ashes upon his head. Consider those around you whose heart may be breaking under the burdens of this world today. And now, and now consider the purposes of the Lord. When I was five, our family suffered a terrible tragedy. My grandpa and grandma loved the Lord. In 1995, their daughter was in a terrible car accident. It was a head on collision, multiple people died. And I left my my grandparent's daughter in a coma for nine months. Nine months is a long time. I can't imagine, right? The countless hours spent in the hospital. The doctors predicted the worst. They said she'll most likely never walk again, she'll most likely never even wake up, never talk. Can you imagine watching your daughter on a ventilator body slowly shrinking away over months. I can't imagine anything harder, especially when I think about my boys. And amazingly, and amazingly, in ways the world cannot comprehend, my grandparents were calm and patient. There were multiple families in similar scenarios, right? This is the ward of the hospital where people all the similar circumstances all are in the same place. And they would all come and visit. And they would just be dumbfounded by my grandparents' peace and patience. If you ask them, you ask them now, you ask them then. How are you? How do you have this peace? How can you be so patient? They would reply, I do not understand. But God is good. And he will take care of us and keep us. Job was not blessed because God gave it all back to him, but because God kept him through the trial. Do you see the mercy and compassion of our Lord? Everything was taken from Job, and the Lord kept him through it all. I tell you, my friends, you may not understand your own experience, and the perfect people of this world may condemn you for having it. But what do they know about the purposes of the Lord? Job was never given a why. He was never told why he suffered. That belongs to the Lord. But there was a precious fruit. There was a pre- There's multiple precious fruit. A hope given to all people for all time who read this book. Our hope is not, our suffering is not, Arbitrary. Our suffering is not arbitrary. It's doing something. That daughter of my grandparents was my mom. And I still do not understand it fully. But I thank God for his purposes in my life. Because I know that I know that I know. Without his orchestrating all things in my life, to include my mom's accident, I wouldn't be here. Consider not your own circumstances, but the purposes of the Lord. Wait for and trust in the Lord's will for you. And let that give you patience. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Because through the Lord's purposes, which are compassionate and merciful, he's producing in you a steadfastness that will see your faith to the end, which will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. We consider his preciousness. We consider his purpose. Now we're going to consider his prophesied return. We Christians are a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a glorious thing. We all share in a uh, common hope. Jesus is coming again. We place our faith in that. I've been using my definition from earlier. Faith, trusting in and being satisfied with all that God has for you in Jesus. We put our faith in that promise that this isn't the end and Jesus will put all things right again. We believe Jesus is coming again soon. We believe because he promised us. In first century Jerusalem, they were waiting for the redemption of a worldly kingdom. They wanted a kingdom on earth. And I always want to be fair to the Israelites. I want to be fair to them. The Bible does promise a new kingdom on earth. And that desire is not any different than our own. We want to see things put right. And if, this, if this, you don't feel this, just stick with me, right? We all recognize there's much left to be undone. be done. The world is broken. The people of Israel waited for the day when the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom on earth. And ultimately satisfy that desire which is in all of us. Which is to see all broken things put right. Now, I don't know your story or your week, but I know we can all palpably taste the brokenness in this world. There are plenty of things to complain about, or as James says, grumble about. Our politics feel broken. The poor are numerous and oppressed. Our bodies wither and break down and store up all types of terrible things. Broken families. Broken relationships, unfulfilled expectations. There is real pain on this side of heaven. James says, don't grumble. The judge is at the door. Now, that can sound ominous and like a threat if you don't know the judge. But if you do know the judge, it's the best news in the world. The judge is at the door does not have to be scary. Imagine, you enter the courtroom, you walk in, and you know the judge by name. And not only that, he's your friend. Even more, he's the lamb. He's the one you have known and trusted, and whom you have been established. Who you have treasured the one who gave you your faith. The judge sits at the door and sees. He knows. And so the judge at the door is good news. Consider and establish your hearts and know that the same faith that by his grace saved us, that same faith by which you believed, will hold you to the end. Where the judge is the justifier. One day, one day, by God's grace, my mother will be healed. And on that day, when Jesus returns, all things will be put right. Be patient. Be patient and establish your hearts in the preciousness of Christ and his purposes. In his return. Does it help? It helps. It helps. And by God's grace, it will see you. It will see you to the end. Let us pray. Dearly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. May the word spoken here, Lord, root us and keep us. Help us abide. Lord, thank you. I thank you for this this group, this church, this body. It's been a blessing to our family. Now to you, to you who can do immeasurably more than we ever can hope, Ask or imagine. Be the glory. Amen.